0: Section 13 of Early Rome by Wilhelm Ina. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 8 The Senate of the Regal Period. If in the earliest constitution of Rome the king was rather the head of the national religion than a chief executive officer, it follows that the community required some other central authority invested with political power able to bind together the federative elements of which the state consisted, and to direct the government. This authority was lodged in the Senate, a body of men consisting of all or the most influential heads of families, and therefore appropriately called fathers, patres. They must have formed a kind of representative assembly, although the idea of representation in the modern sense was foreign to the whole ancient world. If it is reported that romulus chose at first 100 men to be senators that this number was doubled on the union with the sabines and that under tarquin 100 more were added we understand that the earliest analysts considered 300 to have been the normal number of senators and that this number was reached gradually now this number agreed with the division of the people in the prehistoric time namely the three tribes romnes tities and luceres divided into 30 curies and probably 300 gentes, or houses. It would appear, therefore, that the ancient senate was intended to contain a member of each of the houses, and in so far these houses were in fact all represented in the senate. If that was so, it seems that the individual members could hardly have been freely chosen by the king, as in republican times they were by the consuls, and afterwards by the censors. It would seem more natural that each House had a right to be represented in the Senate by its head, pater, though probably the formal nomination may have been the King's privilege or duty. As a consequence of this inherent right of the heads of the Houses to form the Senate, it would naturally follow that the Senate was not merely, as it was in Republican times, a consultative body, but that it would share to a certain extent the executive government of the State. This we may, moreover, infer from certain formal rights which the republican senate retained, and which were probably only the remnants of rights more real and extensive of older date. We know that the consent called authority of the fathers, patrum auctoritas, was required for all elections and all legislative acts of the people. This right may be presumed to have been of much more importance in the earlier period. A second privilege of the Senate in Republican times was the right of deciding when a dictator should be named. It seems a safe conclusion that in the time of the sacerdotal kings, it was in like manner the Senate, which determined when a magister populi should be elected to take the military command. But the most significant remnant of ancient prerogative possessed by the senators even in historical times was the right of acting as interreges between kings, that is, of taking upon themselves the executive power in the interregnum, the interval between the death of duly elected magistrates and the installation of their successors. Such an event would more rarely happen in the time of the Republic when two chief magistrates were annually appointed, but it regularly occurred in the regal period on the death of a king. Then it was that the Senate as a body stepped into the king's place, one senator after another acting as interrex for five days until a new king was appointed. At such times the right to take the auspices which had been possessed by the deceased king passed over to the body of the senators. These men stood forward now as the mediators between the Roman gods and the Roman people. They took care that the link was not broken between the two, that the auspices could be duly taken, and that with the consent of the gods a new king should be appointed. The Senate therefore occupied a most influential position under the sacerdotal kings. When the revolution took place which placed military kings at the head of the state, we hear of conflicts between them and the Senate. The younger Tarquin is said to have expelled and even murdered many senators, and to have in fact superseded the Senate altogether." He was not nominated in due form by an interrex, and was therefore, according to the spirit of the ancient public law, a usurper, not entitled to take the public auspices of the Roman people. When he was expelled, the power of the Senate revived, and new senators were appointed in place of those whom Tarquin had killed. In fact, a regular aristocratic restoration took place, The liberty gained by the downfall of the tyrant was not a liberty for the lower classes of citizens, but a liberty for the nobility, who exercised their power in a spirit so hostile to the people that the Tarquins were looked upon with tender regret. The people were soon driven to rise against their oppressors and to force them to concessions by seceding in a body to the sacred hill and threatening to separate themselves from Rome. The secession to the sacred hill— was the commencement of the growth of popular liberties. To understand it, we must examine the condition of the people in the preceding period. End of section 13.